I think science is a place where you can learn to be open to something that challenges you and it doesn't threaten you, but it but it can help you to more deeply appreciate a truth that is is beyond your um, your current imagination. Welcome to the Jesus Storybook Bible Podcast, a place where we remind you that grace can rewrite any story, that hope shines a light through our darkest moments, and that God's love changes lives. Here's your host, New York Times bestselling author, Sally Lloyd-Jones. Hello, I'm Sally Lloyd-Jones, author of the Jesus Storybook Bible, which tells the story of God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Welcome to the show. Thomas Edison was famous for saying this about never giving up in his search for the construction of the electric light bulb. I've not failed, he said. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. Isn't that great? Samuel Beckett also famously said this. Ever tried? Ever failed? No matter. Try again. Fail again. Fail better. Paradoxically, it's often out of failure that we reach success. Paradox is something our guest today is very familiar with. Dr. Brandon Vathanathan, sociologist, author and speaker, has found paradox at the centre of his own story and life journey. He shares with us his discovery that the forces he once thought were at odds, science and religion, could actually work together for the good of all. And along the way, he also discovered the surprising relationship between science and wonder. Dr. Vathanathan studies how culture shapes human flourishing. That word shalom, which means wholeness, completeness, well-being. Dr. Vathanathan believes in the importance of being open to being surprised, to loving truth over our own opinions. And in his own life, he shares the wonderful story of how it was through a paradox that he first came to faith. Paradoxically, it was through a broken heart that he discovered God's heart, God's unconditional love, agape as the Bible calls it. And in the Jesus Storybook Bible, I translated it as God's wonderful, never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And he shares with us how it was that love that gave him a new lens to see everything. As Dr. Vadanathan points out, paradox is at the very heart of the gospel, the good news, the story of the God who loves us and comes to rescue us, the king who is a servant, the mighty God who makes himself small and helpless, the prince of heaven who becomes poor, is part of the majesty and beauty of the gospel. I can't wait for you to hear from such a humble and wise and thoughtful and thought-provoking guide. So without further ado, please welcome my friend and now yours, Dr. Brandon Vathanathan. So here's the two paradoxes at the beginning of this story. I was in my final year of high school, and, and this was in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates. 
And I fell in love with this girl and realized that the only thing I ever wanted, the only reason I was striving for everything I was doing was for someone to tell me that she loved me. And we were in this really secretive relationship because we were in, in a country where you couldn't really be open about these things. And we were from different cultural backgrounds where she was a Christian and I was a Hindu. And at the end of that year, one fine morning, she announced to me that on the phone that she had been, she called me up and said she'd been seeing somebody else for the last three months. Here's the paradox. She wanted my permission to go out with him while I would be her best friend. She was asking for permission. And it was the most absurd experience of my life. I couldn't have seen this betrayal coming, but then I couldn't even process the claim. It wasn't even computing because there was no script I had that could make sense of what she was asking. And it turns out that she was seeing this guy that I had introduced her to three months earlier. I found out the two of them were going to this church retreat. And I, I said, how can they do this religious nonsense after after what she did to me? And so I, I thought I would go there and make a nuisance of them, get into a taxi and go to this church retreat. It's a very bizarre experience because I've never been in an environment where other young people like myself seem to be taking something like faith or God seriously. It's a very strange environment. And I found myself somewhat dislodged from my goals there of, of trying to make a nuisance of her. And, and I found myself for the first time asking a question of, is there something more to reality? Because I was really sure that I knew where my life was going. I was the master of my own destiny. I was, in my mind, going to marry this girl. I, I couldn't control her, I couldn't control her heart. And I found myself asking for some proof of God's existence. And the proof came in a very paradoxical way, I suppose, which is this. And I found myself telling this girl at the end of the retreat, yeah, you know, if you want to go out with this guy, that's fine. I'll be your best friend and I don't want to hold on to you and I don't want to possess you. So there's this, this profound truth about, you know, in the gospel about, you know, to save your life, you must lose it. The paradox was for the first time I realized that this is what it means to love. And eventually by spending time with, with the kids that I met at that youth group in that church, I came to encounter the story of the gospel, which is this claim of a God who is a father who loves unconditionally, which was a very strange idea. I'd never heard of the idea of unconditional love before, but I tasted it in my own experience, not as a recipient of it, but in somehow being a channel of this. So for me, I encountered the story you know, of Christianity through that community, and it was a story in which I could finally get a sense of how my worth could not come from some person, you know, whether my girlfriend or, or my parents, or, or whether the people who admired me for the awards I had won, but had to come from an infinite source. I worked with my mentor, Elaine Howard Eklund, and we conducted the world's largest study of the role of religion and science. And we looked at scientists in eight different nations or, or national contexts and tried to get at what do they really think about religion? What are their beliefs and practices surrounding religion and spirituality? And we find that the vast majority of them see no conflict between science and religion. And there's this image of, of conflict and, and this widespread impression that scientists are hostile because just because there's some outspoken atheists who are, who are really vocal in their hostility towards religion, we find that doesn't characterize most scientists. And so for most scientists, we found that they actually see science and religion as independent, as separate realms, separate spheres. And then the other surprising finding was that for a lot of scientists who are non-religious, it was not science that made them less religious it was often religion that made them less religious. They grew up in religious environments where they were not 
encouraged to ask questions. Their questions were shut down or they just had a really bad religious education. But most scientists in our study, we found, grow up in non-religious environments and don't really have much exposure to religion. But those that do turn away from religion, it's, it's largely not because of science. There's a thing we're learning now in our research on scientists, which is the most profound form of beauty that most scientists experience is recognizing, ah, this is how reality works. It is, it is glimpsing uh, something behind the appearances and patterns. And you see, and it's not just in science. I've talked to poets who tell me something like a beautiful poem is, is, is the one in which you get this insight. And you go, ah, that's how things are. And isn't it beautiful? We've done a new international study of four countries. And we find that there's a strong relationship between awe and spirituality. So scientists who consider themselves to be spiritual, whether or not they're religious, they encounter awe more frequently, they experience awe more frequently in their work, and, and also seem to be more attuned to beauty and to wonder in all things. There's something about science that requires you to be open to being surprised, that requires you to, you know, you have a hypothesis or a hunch as to how things are going to work, and then, and then things, reality may turn out that way. You might find that your experiment is corroborated, and then you're, you might also find that, no, it didn't. It's an occasion to learn something new. It's this idea that I was wrong, but that isn't a failure because now there's more to learn. When science does work well, scientists are really open to revising their ideas and to changing their minds, and, and they do delight in, in learning something new and even in, in being wrong. What it is indicative of, I think, is an ability to love truth more than one's own opinion. And I think science is a place where, at least in theory, but this attitude is cultivated where you can learn to be open to something that challenges you and it doesn't threaten you, that it can help you to more deeply appreciate a truth that is, is beyond your current imagination. I'll be reading from a story in the Jesus Storybook Bible called Operation No More Tears where Isaiah tells the people of Israel an important message from God. Someone is going to come and rescue you, but he won't be who anyone expects. He will be a king, but he won't live in a palace, and he won't have lots of money. He will be poor, and he will be a servant, but this king will heal the whole world. He will be a hero. He will fight for his people and rescue them from their enemies, but he won't have big armies, and he won't fight with swords. But people will hate him, and they won't listen to him. He will be like a lamb. He will suffer and die. But he won't stay dead. I will make him alive again. And one day, when he comes back to rule forever, the mountains and trees will dance and sing for joy. The earth will shout out loud. His fame will fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. Everything sad will come untrue. Even death is going to die, and he will wipe away every tear from every eye. There's a lot of things about these images that struck me about religion as a kid. So the, the king who will be poor and who will be a servant. So there's this great ideal of renunciation of power and of prestige and of wealth and, and of becoming small um, that I found you know, really 
also beautiful in the in the Christian tradition and exemplars from Francis of Assisi through Mother Teresa. And so there's that continuity that continues to move me today. And it's one of the, one of the, sort of the most appealing and, and and sort of scary things about about Christianity, which is this this cross or this call to to give everything away, which is it's beautiful and it's noble. You can get the Jesus Storybook Bible wherever books are sold. To find out more about the book and all of Sally's other books, please visit Sally at sallylloyd-jones.com and follow her on Instagram at sallylloydjones and at Jesus underscore storybook underscore Bible. Before we go, don't forget, God loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever, love. Oh, hello, it's me again, Sally. I'm just popping back briefly to say two things. The first thing is, don't forget to subscribe to the show because that way you'll get the stories straight to your phone. And the other thing is, while we're at it, would you rate the show and leave us a review? That would be so great because it helps other people find the show too. I really appreciate your help. Thank you.